and the doctor's eyes were like saucers and he just kept saying Stacy we found something do you hear me do you understand me and I was like well what what do you mean you found something and he's like I, I just didn't expect this I'm so sorry at the time of my diagnosis like nobody had any idea about MAP and they made a lot of assumptions about it <laughs> I think that's what they need to be more upfront about, honestly. A marketing disclaimer, like, hey, yeah, this is all fun and games, but also we're gonna tell you some stuff that might cost you another thousand dollars because you're gonna wanna see a genetic counselor. Genetics isn't always black and white, and the emotions and decisions surrounding genetic testing can be even more complex. Welcome to Patient Stories with Gray Genetics. I'm Eleanor Griffith, a certified genetic counselor and the founder of Gray Genetics, a telehealth genetic counseling and consulting service. It seems like there are constantly headlines in the news about genetics, but few news stories focus on the patient experience. At Gray Genetics, we are collecting patient stories, your stories. Every other Tuesday, we share an interview with a patient or a genetic counselor. I think, you know, I had a false sense of security. I just assumed it would never happen to me. I was young and healthy and loved working out. Building awareness because this is actually a preventable disease. Nine times out of ten, it's preventable. Stacy Wilson is a born and raised cheesehead at heart who now lives in Indianapolis with her husband Tim and her two daughters, 12 and almost 10 years old. She is the vice president of member services for the Indiana CPA Society and not for profit membership organization for certified public accountants in Indiana. I'm really happy she was willing to come on the show and to talk about her uh, diagnosis of MAP, which has gotten some more attention now since 23andMe has added it to their test. Yeah. <laughs> um, hi, Stacy. Hi. <laughs> so um, probably I think most people had not heard of MAP um, until 23andMe news came out and they tend to make more people aware of certain things. So sure. tell us what is uh, MAP or M-U-T-Y-H associated polyposis? Yeah, so MAP is, um, it's a recessive inherited disorder. So that means that both of my parents were simply carriers. They had no family history. They had no like side effects or any colon cancer history but they just both happened to pass that bad gene, if you will, onto me. And so uh, there's a fixer gene from what I understand and mine is essentially broken. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of a lot of uh, genes related to cancer risk really mm -hmm. do just that, like they're responsible for <laughs> for keeping other genes in check. Right, um, and yeah, it's, it's just really, it's really interesting how many people at the time of my diagnosis, like, nobody had any idea about MAP. And they made yeah. a lot of assumptions about it. <laughs> and and so that was about six years ago, right? You were diagnosed with colon mm -hmm. cancer when you were 35? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a, actually a rectal cancer diagnosis. Um, and uh, it was, it was, yeah, I was 35 and I'd for a couple of months just been having symptoms of bleeding and you just kind of talk yourself into thinking like, that's not what I'm seeing. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then the next thing you know, you're like, I really should go to the doctor. Um, and thank God my doctor was very, um, just very progressive and was like, you know, this might seem crazy, but we're going to do this whole colonoscopy thing. And uh, yeah, that's when they found the tumor. Because a more, I mean, I, I would think a more common explanation for rectal bleeding when you're only 35 would be something mm -hmm. like hemorrhoids, right? Right, like hemorrhoids or like my diet. Mm -hmm. they, that was one thing they're like, well, I'm sure we just need to change your diet, you're straining. And I'm like, I don't think so. 
But, yeah. you know, I, I was ready for whatever. I, I didn't think it was a big deal at all. I didn't take my husband. I just had my girlfriend take me. <laughs> yeah. So, and I woke up to something very different that day. Yeah. Do you remember um, what they told you when you woke up or how they gave you that diagnosis? Oh, yeah. Um, so when I woke up, it was very much like my my girlfriend like looked very like her face was pale and white and looked she looked very serious and the doctor's eyes were like saucers and he just kept saying Stacy we found something do you hear me do you understand me and I was like well what what do you mean you found something and he's like I I just didn't expect this I'm so sorry and he wouldn't say it was cancer because he mm-hmm. couldn't but I was reading clearly through the lines like I mean I. There was no doubt in my mind that it was cancer. Um, everyone was just so shocked. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, probably he wanted needed to send it to pathology for the actual yes. diagnosis. Yes. He needed to send it out and would be in touch in a couple of days. So I think, like, the timeline was I had my colonoscopy on November 6th, 2012. And then... Um, my husband and I just sat around the house and cried when my mm-hmm. our children weren't present and then tried to keep life normal when they were. And then we finally decided to leave the house on November 8th and the doctor called. So, yep. And did he give you the results then over the yes. phone? Yes, he did. He just, Which you were kind of expecting at that point? Um, Yes, but I also lapsed into like quite a bit of hysteria. I did mm-hmm. not see that coming. Um, I got pretty hysterical and angry and what are you telling me? I just had so many questions. So, yeah. What did, what happened after that point in terms of what they said you needed for treatment? Yeah. So, um, it was just, I mean, it was just a battery of tests from that point forward, but honestly, like within an hour of my doctor, uh, my gastroenterologist calling me and saying, you know, this is indeed cancer. My um, colorectal nurse navigator called me and she just became my literal lifeline. She was basically like, you don't have to worry about another thing. Like I'm going to, I'm going to set up all of these things, coordinate your insurance. You just, I will tell you what door to be at at the hospital, who's going to be waiting for you and when to be there. And that is literally how the next month went. Well, actually, the next, like, eight months, but specifically those few weeks. Um, they had to do a lot of testing to see exactly, like, how, where the tumor was, how thick was it. They had it grown into my muscle wall, um, all different kinds of things. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Nurse navigators are pretty amazing. Uh, amazing. <laughs> amazing and, help, yeah. Yeah, and I just thought, I just kept saying, like, you, you have to do this for everyone, right? Like, Is there a breast nurse navigator? Is there, you know, I just wanted to make sure everyone had access to this because for me, it was so life-changing. Right. Yeah, it was great. And what did your treatment end up being? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so, um, well, so that was the whole quandary, right? So they couldn't decide. My my tumor was somewhere right where the colon meets the rectum. Mm -hmm. And so originally it was, this is rectal cancer, rectal cancer, rectal cancer. But then the more they looked at it under different ultrasounds and and so forth, they decided to get the tumor board together, which maybe they do on a more regular basis than I realize. But they kind of made a big deal about it, I remember. (laughs) (laughs) And um, because rectal cancer and colon cancer spread in two very different ways and they have different treatments. Mm -hmm. Rectal cancer, um, a lot of times they'll do radiation and colon cancer um, at the stage at which it was, they wouldn't have had to do. So ultimately they decided to treat as colon cancer. Um, They decided that, you know, 
it wasn't in the muscle wall. We could do a resection. So they did a resection. They removed a foot of my colon. Um, and then, yeah. And after I healed from all of that, I started chemotherapy, um, January 2nd. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what stage was your cancer? Um, it was stage three. So I had it in, um, it wasn't in any organs, but it was in my lymph nodes. I had yeah. seven of 30 lymph nodes test positive. You wrote a blog post a while back for the Colon yes. Cancer Coalition website. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that in that post, you mentioned that both your oncologist and your <laughs> nurse navigator recommended that you meet with a genetic counselor. Yes. I'm wondering, like, what were those conversations like? And they, did they say that when you were first diagnosed? Or I, I, think it, I think maybe they told you, like, toward the end of your treatment. Like, but how did yeah. that all come, out, come to play? Sure. It was very much, like hurry let's hurry up and get treatment started when I got started so it was like we're gonna deal with this right now um you know get a game plan in order it, of course like the whole time like when you get diagnosed with cancer you're constantly thinking like what have I done wrong like did I eat too much fast food is it all the cheese I ate in Wisconsin is it growing up on a farm like I I literally was grasping for an answer um so you know my oncologist really sensed that about me and um he just I, I always wanted an answer and he just kept saying, okay, when we get through chemo, we'll talk about, you know, we'll talk about genetic testing. Mm -hmm. So then finally I get through chemo and everything and then I go in and, um, and they just explained to me that the importance of it because I have no, no family history, but I do have little kids and, you know, let's just see if we can find out what's going on. Like perhaps there was something I could get in front of. So, right. Um, and what was your experience like with genetic counseling? It was great. It was really thorough. Um, Morgan was really, she was, I think, new to the profession. She was, um, had a lot of energy. She was very positive, but she was also very clear that um, when I got the results back, they may not be results. They may, what, what is that called? Well, I mean, the, I like, I often tell patients like the most likely outcome is just negative results where we have no answer. And then uh -huh. increasingly as we're doing testing with panels that include a lot of different genes uh, to get a variant, like a, a change, but of uncertain significance. That's it. That's <laughs> it. That's it right there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I did the colon next panel. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's totally fine. <laughs> okay. So I did that um, and she just wanted to be clear because I think, again, everybody was like very much understood my want for an answer, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and she was like, you know, I just want you to know that we might not know anything right now, but you know, no matter what, this will help us as we're, you know, this is kind of relatively newly discovered and we're still learning things and, you know, it could come out in a couple years that we would contact you. And I was like, okay, yeah. So I, of course, was just hoping for something sooner than later, which people around me just did not understand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, they didn't understand, like, why Why are you even doing this? So what if it says something's wrong with you? What are you going to do about it? And for me, it was just like, well, why wouldn't you want to know? Um, I guess I've already been through cancer, but the fact that it could be creeping around and just be back in a year is really even scarier, mm -hmm. um, which turns out to be exactly what was my case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so... Um... With that diagnosis, well, I guess, first of all, how did you get those results? Did the mm -hmm. genetic counselor call you with the results, or did you actually go back in for an appointment? Um, I believe she just called me. Um, okay. I'm pretty sure she offered me to come in. 
but we just had the whole talk over the phone. Um, mm-hmm. She had never had anyone with positive MAP results. Uh-huh. Um, and so I started dialing for dollars, like all my doctors, <laughs> my <laughs> surgeon. Like I, I just have a great network of doctors, honestly, like Facebooking them and, you know, like, hey, have you heard of this? Oh, my gosh. I've heard of it, but I've never treated anyone with it. And that seemed to be the outcome. And, um, you know, they just, yeah, so she, she just told me everything and I kind of, I had taken a lot of notes. So I went on the phone, I, I reviewed with her how I understood it. So I'm understanding that this is what this is and this is what you're saying. So mm-hmm. there really wasn't a lot. I, I don't know that there was a reason for me to go in at that point. Right. Um, because I was pretty much driving the bus at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I feel like, uh, physicians now at least it's a order of genetic testing routinely at all related mm-hmm. to hereditary cancer risk are probably familiar with seeing MU2H show up yeah. on their report with just one mutation mm-hmm. um and I in my experience they're often very irritated because <laughs> oh. it's it's sort of like an incidental finding like if they're doing That's testing right. and you know looking for like related to breast cancer risk and they're like why is yes. this on here and I'm like because we want to find when people have two mutations <laughs> and they're like right oh, okay well I'm still irritated that it's on my report so <laughs> right and um you said incidental finding and I feel like that is where I live my life <laughs> mm. Is just because of all the tests that I, to that I go under the maintenance, if you will, of this. Um, uh-huh. I, it, they're constantly finding something else, right? They're mm-hmm. like, it's like, well, you have to have an annual CT scan. Oh, well, we found this schwannoma on your brain, or we found like, and they're all incidental findings. So that has been a really big learning experience for me, like how to mm-hmm. take this with a grain of salt. Like I've got to remember that if you know, super healthy Susie next door goes in and gets scanned, they'd probably find something strange on her too. Right. So, you know, it's just a, it's, it's, you got to keep it all kind of relative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what, what recommendations do they have for you in terms of medical management because of your MAP diagnosis? <laughs> uh, and, and I'm guessing they're yeah. like a little unclear and constantly evolving. <laughs> That's right. And it, it's frustrating. Actually, just this year, I got really frustrated with it because I've been doing this now. So um, if we back up a little bit, after I was diagnosed, um, I, long story short, remembered or was reminded that my girlfriend's sister was a, a genetic counselor in California and actually worked for the company where my results were ran. Uh-huh. And so when I had done my own research and it said, you know, Cleveland Clinic, MD Anderson, these are good places to go. I reached out to her and just for as much help as I could get because I was not finding anything that wasn't some kind of research paper. And really, I mean, yeah, I was make I was trying to make sense of it, but that was just dumb because <laughs> I don't I don't know that um, stuff. So anyway, um, they told me she confirmed that yes md anderson would be a great place to go that's where my mom had researched and she really wanted me to go there and so we did i found this doctor and he was amazing and he does all these he had all these videos of all these talks he's done and he seemed to know exactly about map um so we went down there and he uh he confirmed that my doctors here were doing everything right as far as maintenance as far as you know annual blood work for the first five years, I was doing blood work every three or four months, and then, and then I graduated to six months. Mm-hmm. 
mm -hmm. um, and then doing annual scans and of course annual colonoscopies. The one thing he did mention that he thought was going to be the most beneficial was a chromoendoscopy annually. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially that's where they take a vegetable-based blue dye and they spray it in your colon to kind of highlight even the smallest of polyps. So um, that because and you probably didn't want to travel from Indiana to Texas every year. To that's have right. That done. That's right. And he was like, "I'm more than happy to do this for you." And I'm like, "Okay." And my mom, of course, was more than happy to get me there every year. Just you know, she do whatever it took. But I thought, "Oh my gosh, I'm gonna just go back and talk to my doctors." And um, none of them did it. None of my existing doctors, but they referred me to another one in town. I'm I'm really I'm gonna take this break an opportunity actually just to say. I'm really lucky to live here in Indy. We have so many hospitals mm -hmm. and um, just really great, like, um, you know, student-centered, so a lot of research and learning and uh, those kind of resources go toward them. Um, I, I just feel like I had, you know, if it wasn't this hospital, they would recommend that hospital. If that doctor wasn't in, they would recommend this one. I felt like everybody worked together really well. So when my surgeon recommended I reach out to this other doctor who is a specialist, um, I did just that. I had to track him down. It was kind of tricky, but I got his email and he agreed to do it for me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then going forward, um, I think you mentioned before the interview, you know, as, as you've had all your colonoscopies done, you haven't had that many no. polyps found overall, right? Which is, it seems right. to be a, uh, like what comes up with MAP is it's just really variable and some people have a lot of polyps and some don't have that many. <laughs> but see, I wonder if, and this is something you would probably understand way more than I would. Uh, so the reports that you read on MAP, you know, where it says, you know, over 70 polyps or, un, you know, under 100 or something, is that because that's where it was found at the first time? So, like, maybe if I had never gone in when I was 35 and waited till I was my age now, 42, I may have had 60 polyps. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Like with Lynch syndrome, um, uh -huh. I know that we, we it's definitely well established that the polyps grow more quickly. With with uh -huh. MAP, I'm not sure offhand, but there's yeah. there's always an ascertainment bias in mm -hmm. genetics and I guess in medicine more generally, where when we see a lot of polyps, we're more likely to do the testing. And mm -hmm. for you, you know, being diagnosed under the age of 50, most people. Um, in 2018, like, would be able to have genetic testing done, covered by insurance, and they, yes. the testing, but billing code would be Lynch syndrome, mm -hmm. <laughs> but they could throw in MAP, and I think that's usually done, but, you know, if we go back, and then it's, like, honestly, kind of before my time in genetic counseling, but, mm -hmm. you know, by guidelines, we'd only really be doing testing for MAP if someone has, like, over 20, possibly over 10 polyps. Right, um, right. So, yeah, so I think, like, sometimes there's definitely that ascertainment bias and then just even in terms of what a doctor notices or refers you know when you have 70 polyps mm -hmm. um you're more likely to get that attention and like raise eyebrows and get referred on <laughs> well um, yeah and more likely to publish a paper about it too <laughs> right and that's just it like i i definitely it, it's just so interesting so this year yeah so every year i've had three to five polyps that's it three mm -hmm. to five now i say that's it but like i said if i would miss a year then just double that yeah. um and three to five is, is, is a lot compared to average. Right, Especially annually. because you're still so young. Yeah, you know? and it's so, annual. Yeah. <laughs> so they're removing them, and then they're growing back. They're removing them, and they're growing back. So um, 
Yeah, so annually I'm having three to five. So this year when I woke up, uh, Dr. Rex told me, guess how many I found? And I was, you know, loopy. I'm like, I don't know. And he says, one, one, there was one polyp. And so he was kind of like, why, you know, let's, let's go longer. We can go two years. And I think I just looked at him like, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? (laughs) Are you out of, you're out of your mind is what I was thinking, you know? So um, I think we decided that I'll go 18 months, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I've talked to my general physician about it. And, you know, part of me would like to have just like one fall off um, mm-hmm. where I'm not doing the prep because it is getting actually harder on my body mm-hmm. um, to do the prep every year. It's strange. Like I, I didn't have any real recovery before, but now I actually have actually like a day of like uncomfortable and recovery. Um Maybe it's because I'm over that magic age of 40 now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, so I, I don't know. I think when fall comes, I might get, start getting really nervous and be like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going in. And he mm-hmm. will do it. He'll do, he'll do whatever I he, – he said it's, not, it's up to me, you know. He just uh, – and, and he has the highest adenoma detection rate in the world. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm supposed to take comfort in that, but – Everybody has a bad day, so what if you miss something? So right, yeah, yeah, and it's tricky to know like how quickly those polyps could form and how quickly they could develop into something. Right, I know. More like serious. so, yeah. right? Would a missed polyp be cancer in six months, or would it be in three years? And he, mm-hmm. he was like, seemed so certain that day. Like, you know, when you found your cancer, it could have been there for years. And I was like, no, that like contradicts everything I've learned over the last <laughs> six years. And I was so frustrated when I left that day. And my husband was like, you just got to calm down. <laughs> yeah. This, but, this makes me want to, now I want to go back and see. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it is tricky because like whatever you find, it's all based on pretty limited information. Exactly. You know, this is just not that common. Right. And the studies are such a small amount of people. So like I have this theory that, you know, now with all of these um, tests coming out and all of these different um at home tests or, you know, just, it's just becoming more mainstream for your doctors to suggest this, right? When you have cancer and I keep thinking, okay, so now more and more people are going to get tested and they're going to find out it's not less than 1% of the population, but I'm not good at math either. So it probably still works out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that the, I mean, the, the kind of statistics that people quote is that among Caucasians or people of European ancestry, like mm-hmm. two to three percent of people have one mutation. Mm-hmm. Um, there should be, I don't, I don't know what they are. That's kind of what still gets quoted. The labs have been doing this as part of panel testing for so long that I feel like we should have some confirmation or different information as to whether that, that seems accurate, at least in the Caucasian population. But like that, that would mean like one in 10,000 or so actually has, mm-hmm. um, I will, Maybe I'll check my math later, but I think that's one in 10,000. Yeah, I think that's what I read in your blog. Okay, yeah, yeah. so I did, okay, good. So You did did the math, it was like a percent, it was like a, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, so it's one in 10,000. So it's like, no, that's not common, but at the same time, that means in a small town, one person has MAP. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, right. it's like, it's not, I mean, in a rare disease we think of in the U.S. is less than one in 200,000. So like one in 10,000 is pretty common. It's not common compared to things like Lynch syndrome, which mm-hmm. is more like one in 200, one in 500, but it's it's not rare either. Hmm. So. Yeah. Um, what, uh, oh, so I also want to ask you just about, I talked to so many women yes. who 
do not want to have a colonoscopy done. <laughs> Why? Just because it's just nobody looks forward to having a colonoscopy done, sure. and it's a it's a somewhere between uh, really hesitant, but probably they'll bite the bullet and do it either because of family history of cancer, or just because they're about to turn fifty and it's recommended, um, and then other women who just say absolutely not, <laughs> and some oh men gosh. too. How do you what like do you? Do you have friends who ask you about that, or what do you tell people about colonoscopies? Oh my nobody gosh. likes the prep, nobody likes experience. Yeah, I tell them to suck it up and do it. <laughs> uh-huh. So, I mean, no, honestly, though, it's not that it's not a big deal. Like, yes, the prep is the worst part. My girl, I just got a, a text from a girlfriend last week, and she said, "Today's the day," and I was like, "For what?" And she just <laughs> turned fifty, so she was getting her colonoscopy, and she was prepping, and I was like. You know, she was, because it, it, it can make you physically ill. Like, you can throw up from it. I, dev, I have mm-hmm. never, but like some people, my mother-in-law, people just do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it's just not that, it's just not that bad. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm really used to it. You're just kind of drinking. It's for peace of mind. And like the actual mm-hmm. act of the colonoscopy itself is nothing. I mean, you, you get like the world's best nap. And then you wake up and it's over. And hopefully they'll tell you, like, everything looks healthy. We'll see you in five years. Or we removed a polyp. We'll have it tested and it'll come back being totally nothing. So um, there's nothing to it. I mean, yes, you want to make sure you block your calendar and you, you know, you have alone time and you're private that night and all of this stuff. Like, that Mm -hmm. to me is probably where women would feel uncomfortable with it is just like... There's, I mean, it's, it's a, the prep is nasty. It just is. But mm-hmm. I don't know. For me, it's like the prep or cancer's back. So it seems to be a no brainer. Right. I mean, I'm doing all other, you know, mammograms now and thyroid tests and all sorts of stuff too. And I'm more annoyed to just be having to always be waiting on a doctor at a doctor's office than I am to be at home doing my prep for sure. So often when we talk about hereditary cancer, mm-hmm. it's autosomal dominant almost mm-hmm. always, and MAP is really an outlier. So it, like, usually it's a situation of wondering <laughs> whether or not your children have inherited this risk factor, but in your case, both of your children are obligate carriers. They're just carriers. Um, what, like, how do your daughters see that, or does that mean anything to them? Or do you think about it in terms of their future partners and having testing done for them, for their children? Or is it just a relief to know that you don't have to really worry about that increased risk for your children? Um, so I wouldn't say it's a relief. I, <laughs> <laughs> because it's not not a risk. Like, right? Uh-huh. So my husband, he, I mean, technically he should be tested. In my opinion, that's the mm-hmm. next step. He gets tested and either he's a carrier or he's not. And if he's a carrier, then my girls then have a better chance of ending up like me, right? Um, Because both of my parents were carriers. Right. Yeah. Um, So to me, that's the logical next step before I go worrying about their future. And um, he's finally got some great insurance, and we've been talking about it, and he just needs to go do it. My girls are so young right now that they – I think they feel like cancer's everywhere, though. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. honestly, it just is in their little lives, you know. Um, they've known a lot of people with cancer. And, you know, it's a fine line between, like, yeah, somebody you love will probably have cancer in your lifetime again. Mm-hmm. And, no, it's not going to happen to you. Because you don't want to 
you know, I don't want false hope, but I also don't want to scare them at the ages of nine and 12. Um, so, but I, I'm also very open about everything. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're right there with me when I'm drinking my stuff for my prep and they're rubbing my back, like you can do this mommy. Um, and I have joked and said, you know, this will be you in just another 10 years or whatever it would be. Um, you know, so at the very minimum, they're going to be, they're going to get tested, uh, earlier than I did, I would guess. Um, but I hope to have a more concrete answer before that time, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about, um, you know, testing for your husband and Uh insurance being a barrier. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you've looked into before and his insurance would not cover it and now with new insurance you're hoping it would be covered? Yes, exactly. It was, um, and it wasn't that it wasn't covered, it was just really expensive out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Like, and we were just financially still recovering from the whole cancer thing. So, um, and just again with the age of my girls, I feel like we have time, but we're in a good place now and I, I think it is time. Yeah. Yeah. I think and he's an pocket- identical twin. So oh. I think it's a, it's a two for one if I could get my sister-in-law to split it with me. <laughs> Right, right. Do you know, I mean, that sometimes that is a little tricky when, like, his twin mm-hmm. maybe doesn't want to get tested or maybe mm-hmm. does. Yeah, I know. It's it's weird, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I think um, he wouldn't mind, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because the time when, like, five, six years ago, my guess is it would have cost a few thousand dollars Correct. to be tested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if insurance didn't cover it. And now it would probably be a few hundred if insurance didn't cover it. Right. <laughs> Just the way prices have dropped. Um, but I wonder, does that, how do, how do you feel about um, 23andMe adding this to their health test? Ooh. Um, I don't know. I have really mixed feelings, I guess. Um, uh-huh. I mean, I think... So just before knowing that, you know, 23andMe was adding it, to me, the at-home tests always seemed like recreational, more of like an ancestry kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was initially the case, and they've been become kind of increasingly medicalized. <laughs> I know. And I just want people to take it with a grain of salt. But also, like, you know... Um, I guess it all depends on what you want to get out of it, right? But you should mm-hmm. need to know what you could get out of it. And it, what if something, you know, quote-unquote scary does come up? Um, I I would always think that the next logic, if I was going, I wouldn't go into it for health purposes, but I would go into it knowing that it could have health ramifications, if you will. Yeah. Because if I, if I thought, like, BRCA ran in my family, um, which is a concern in my family, actually, um, you know, I would go to a genetic counselor. Like, I just feel like that is a much more reliable, more trusted um, result. It's just how I feel. Um, And I've had good experience with genetic counseling. Um, You know, if I just wanted to go check out my ancestry and the story that my grandparents, my parents have told me, for sure. But you just got to know that it might come back with some, if now it comes back with me at YH, what does that mean? Because your doctor might not even know. So, you know, it could be that you're about to find out even more. Um, I, I like to know the more the better, but I know that there are plenty of people um, who are just like, leave it alone, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just actually did, I, I, I did one of these ancestry kits that I got for Christmas. And for me, it was all recreational. Like I wanted to see about my family and it was, there was 
completely no surprise in any of it. So it's kind of boring. Yeah. Um, but yeah, regardless, it's still fun. Yeah, it's funny. We did a we did an episode on that right before yeah. Christmas because that is such like a common kind of Christmas gift, and like ninety percent of the time or more than that, it's fun for people. And occasionally, it's like, whoa, I was not expecting that at all. So. Right, and I think I think that's what they need to be more upfront about. Honestly, like, like kind of almost like a disclaimer, but like a marketing disclaimer, like, hey, yes, it's all fun and games, but also we're going to tell you some stuff that might cost you another thousand dollars because you're going to want to see a genetic counselor. You know, like it's yeah. Or I mean, maybe there are people who can just let that go, but that wouldn't be me. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there anything um, thinking like? back to like let's say when you were 34 before you were diagnosed and before you had genetic testing done is there anything that you believed about cancer or about genetics or genetic testing related to cancer risk that you realized later was was wrong where you now just have like more perspective and wisdom that maybe (laughs) you didn't have at that time yeah and it's it's unfortunate I think because so um I guess I just I assumed that we didn't have cancer in our family, right? So, um, because I, I figured because I didn't see it and because, you know, it wasn't like all these people in my family had colon cancer or what have you, that it didn't run in my family. This was my assumption. Like, oh, we've got good, gen- we've got good genes. And it's that was not- basically true though. You know, like colon mm-hmm. cancer did not run in your family, right? That is true. <laughs> yeah. But like, I, I was doing that with all the cancers. Like, I was just saying, like, all the cancers, like, hey, we th- you know, we're a healthy family. My grandma's lived to be 93. Uh, you know, everybody lives in their 90s. This is just how we are. We're a very lucky family. It's kind of mm-hmm. what I thought. But um, so my aunt passed away in 2004, or maybe it was January 2005. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and she passed away of breast cancer. However, she'd had... Um, she had had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and no, no, no. She'd had Hodgkin's disease. Sorry. Okay. Um, in her, like when she was 19. Okay. And they used all this treatment that they now know brought on other stuff later in life. Yeah. So it was kind of like she was this isolated case and she tests, she did the BRAC test just to do it and it was nothing. Well, then I get cancer and then mm-hmm. now my other aunt gets cancer and mm-hmm. she gets breast cancer. So totally different, but you know, it's just, it has created a lot of conversation in the family, but I think, you know, I had a false sense of security, um, yeah. if you will. And I just, I, I don't know. I just assumed it would never happen to me. I was young and healthy and loved working out and I don't know. Which is mostly, I think, a, a healthy way to be and to live. <laughs> I do too. Like, and that's why I'm, know, not, like trying most, to, I'm yeah. not trying to instill fear on people. That's, I do not want to do that. Um, at all. I think that is a healthy way to live. Um, but you know, especially at 35. Right. And, and, and my, I mean, I had a three-year-old and a five-year-old and I was just like, you know, doing my day-to-day thing. I just feel really lucky that I, I caught it and that my doctors, I've just read so many terrible stories and no friends of friends who've, you know, their doctors doubt them and send them home. And, you know, it turns out then it's stage four before they know it. And, um, it's just scary. And even stage four cancer, though, people are living so much longer now, you know. Um, it's just everything is changing so fast. And I think of the kid, the world my kids are, are living in, like, you know, cancer to them isn't even nearly as scary as it was to me when I was a kid. Um, yeah. Because their mom 
like it's it has honestly been a conversation to to my girlfriend or my kids and two of their girlfriends like oh yeah my mom had cancer too oh yeah what kind okay like and they move on because right. it's just like, a fact of life like when I was younger my mom had cancer and now she doesn't <laughs> yeah yeah or yeah. oh my gosh I was so embarrassed when my mom wore her chemo pouch to the zoo on that field trip I almost died <laughs> like you know it was stuff like yeah. that so it's more of a part of life and I am I feel lucky to have gotten cancer when I did because it I just feel like I lived, you know, I went through the treatment. I didn't get sick. And I don't know. I felt really lucky. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to someone who's listening who does have a family history with colon cancer or has actually had colon cancer themselves but was never, maybe they were never offered testing even if they were diagnosed mm -hmm. pretty young or had some family history and now they're kind of wondering? Um, well, for family history, like... You know, I think it's pretty common for people to know somebody who's had colon cancer, like usually a grandparent. And that was that was actually something I always thought, like it was older people cancer, right? And so... And it, I mean, it really is like yeah. an average, like compared to breast cancer, yeah. the average age of diagnosis is much later, yeah. Right. So, but, but have you seen the study about how like people born in the 90s are at a much higher risk for colon cancer than people... Have you yeah, seen Yeah, I don't... I don't know if I've seen that study specifically, but I know it's something that, uh, you know, has just been like recognized that it's, the age at diagnosis is, yeah. is just a lot younger now to yeah. where it seems like there must be environmental exactly. factors at work. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I guess I would say, you know, like just like not to scare anyone, you know, just kind of like really think about like if you have a family history of colon cancer, is it, you know, was it someone who's over the age of 50? over the age of 60, you know, that is probably like a natural kind of, they didn't go get their colonoscopy at the age of 50 like they were supposed to kind of a thing, right? I would say if it was younger and if it was you, I I don't understand why you wouldn't get genetic testing um, it, because it gives you a game plan. It gives you a chance to stay ahead of the cancer. It gives you a chance to be on someone else's radar. Um, and just really like take control of your health. Like I, I think you know, like if I would have just stopped at the first phone call I made, um, after getting the news from the genetic counselor, like I'd be sitting here without a colon, right? Right? Like that seemed extreme just on the little bit I knew. Yeah. So like I kept looking and kept looking and talking and asking, and then I finally, you know, yes, that is extreme for your specific case. And I just think if I mean. Hopefully it's just a sporadic cancer, you know, and you're one and done and you can move on with your life. But if it's not, it's like, I think it's worth the peace of mind to go have your colonoscopy every year, remove those little baby cancers and get on with your life. Was it one surgeon you saw who initially recommended taking, having your whole colon removed? So it was just like, uh-huh. Well, it was, <laughs> no, <sighs> it was a couple. It was like, so the doctor who actually first performed my, uh, my, um, colonoscopy the very first time mm -hmm. he was just like MAP do you mean FAP and I was like no <laughs> and then he was just like well you should probably look into a total colectomy I mean I, I honestly I'm not gonna lie I caught him off guard right uh -huh. I didn't schedule an appointment I like got him on the phone right. <laughs> okay and and they took my calls because I was young and interesting honestly right and um and then I had my other surgeon who I, I still trust wholeheartedly and he was just like you know and then I think I said, if I was your wife, what would you do? And he said, I 
would really do more research. Yeah, I wouldn't mm-hmm. rush to anything. And I was like, so that's when I just decided, like, that's it. We're going out of state. We're going to go somewhere else. I didn't know at that time there was a doctor downtown here. But, you know, it's MD Anderson. Why wouldn't I go there? So, right. um, you know, I, I yeah, they, they literally were just like, well, you know, to alleviate any further cancerous, you cut your colon out. And I'm like, that seems like a really big deal. I like my colon after all of this. Yeah, yeah, done, I just got good used. For you. Yeah, I've just gotten <laughs> used to my new smaller colon. So if we can make this work for a while, that'd be great. Now, having said that, if someone said the only way that you're going to live to be 50 is to take your colon out today, like if there was, if that seemed to be like the way, I'm sure I would have done it. Like if that seemed to be what five people told me and MD Anderson told me, and I would do it. I mean, you do what you have to do. Yeah, and you, but when you're you know, when you're hearing it from someone who thinks that when you say MAP you mean FAP, that's, right. that's not confidence inspiring. <laughs> right? No, not at all. And that's that's where you have to like, I, you know, just kind of be willing to learn as much as you can about something and be like, mm, that doesn't seem right. Like you know, I only had three polyps when was cancerous, right? I don't have a hundred, you know, because that was another thing that kept coming up. Like your polyp burden. You'll get to your polyp burden. We'll find out what your polyp burden is, and and. You know, so I really did think like, oh my gosh, one time we're going to go into my colon here and there's going to be 50, 60 polyps. Um, and so far, that is not the case. <laughs> yeah. So I've, you know, again, I've changed. I will say though, you know, I, like I've changed the way I eat. I eat a lot more um, fruits and vegetables, a lot more natural foods because uh-huh. I mean, it's not going to hurt <laughs> at this right. point. I mean, I... I, I just figured my body doesn't need help making cancer, so. Right, all healthy habits associated with the lower risk of yep. colorectal cancer. Yeah, exercising and um, eating right. Um, so I think we're going to release this during, uh, mm. well, we are going to release this in March during colon cancer awareness. How how do you feel about colon cancer awareness? <laughs> do, you, do you like that? Is it annoying yes. to you when it comes around? No. Is it, like, positive? It's very positive. Um, I... I'm all for the different cancer awarenesses. You know, breast cancer just, they did it, man. I mean, they... Everybody's aware. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? They've got the NFL wearing pink socks and the it's uh-huh. crazy. Like, good job. Kudos to their marketing team. They did it. Um, now, I understand that would be crazy to have to do with every cancer, but I am all about doing it with the one that's near and dear to me, which is colon cancer. So, yeah, yeah. like at work, um, you know, on March 1st, we all dressed in blue, Um it's, you know, I, I have a good community around me. I wrote the blog for um, Colon Cancer Alliance Coalition. Coalition. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Colon Cancer Coalition. And then I follow the Colorectal Cancer Alliance. Um, and they both kick off the month of March in really fun ways. So, I mean, I'm all about building awareness because this is actually a pre- preventable, preventable disease, right? So, you know, nine times out of ten, it's preventable. I think there there might be a movement trying to get colon cancer screening moved up to 40. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think the American Cancer Society uh, not too long ago changed the recommendation from 50 to 45. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, that's just one, one society. Right. But even for me, that would have been 10 years too late, right? So I, to right. me, it comes down to knowing your body, people. Like, know your body. Like, it's your body. If something feels awry... 
it probably is. If something looks weird in my case, if it was my poop looked weird, like I told my doctor, and thank God she listened. If you don't have someone to listen, you have to find a new doctor. You have to find people who are going to rally around you and who are going to advocate for you. Um, and I just feel really lucky to have gotten that chance on my first try. You know, yeah. with my general physician, she just was like, we're doing this. And then everyone else was like, we're, we're doing this and we're doing it now. And, um, yeah, I was really fortunate. I think it is harder for people, women and men, to come forward when it relates to, like, bowel movements and uh-huh. poop and blood. It is. And it's harder to market that the way it is, like, yeah. breast is best and yes. breast cancer and pink ribbons is just not a sexy thing to talk no, about. No, and I am super, like... I am open about everything, but that is not something I would have been comfortable talking about before. But now it's like such a part of my life. Like, honest to God, I, I came back from my surgery and had chemo and was, I worked through my whole treatment. And I would have to, you know, get up and leave meetings. I mean, I would tell my boss, like, just so you know, like, I'm going to be leaving in the middle of meetings because I go to the bathroom six times a day. Like, I'm just mm-hmm. getting used to things. So, I mean, I and have, that's not forever, but part of the healing right. process. Right, that was part right? of, your exactly. Body yep. readjusts. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, my body's like, hey, whoa, what happened to these 12 inches? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it was something I had to get comfortable with pretty quick. Um, and it is, there's so much that it tells you, like, about the way you're eating. And, I, you know, yeah, you're right, though. I don't know how to market that sexily. <laughs> Poop. What do you wish that people knew about colon cancer and colon cancer screening that you feel like people generally aren't aware of? I, they're not aware of that it can happen to people who are young. And I just, mm-hmm. I see it all the time. And I, I know it's because I'm on the boards, like I follow um, all the different organizations on Facebook and everywhere. Um, but, um, you know, I just think that the screening is so important. Like if you are approaching, if you're 45 or 50, you have to just rip off the band-aid and do it. It's one day. Well, it's two days, I guess, if you count your prep and your and your procedure. But it's so easy. Um, and it's, it's kind of like a little insurance policy. Um, yeah. yeah, but really, you know, if you're young and you're not nearing that age, if you just feel like something is awry, have it checked out. It could be a food allergy. It could be anything. Um, but you maybe hopefully get a check cancer off your list because that wasn't it, you know. It's just right. an easy procedure for a peace of mind for maybe another five years. Right. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for speaking with me. I think yeah. people will be extra interested in this just with the whenever 23andMe does something, you know, <laughs> people get interested. So Yeah, it, yeah that's, it's really interesting because I, I, yeah, they need to be, a, I just want everybody to know, like, yeah, it's fun and games, but also, like, if you learn this, you might want to do something with it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And especially, like, I people who have siblings or people who have uh, kids, and, yeah, it's good to know. If you'd like to share your story, send an email to podcast at graygenetics.com. Patient Stories is an ad-free podcast and is unaffiliated with any commercial genetic testing laboratories. We would like to keep it that way. You can now donate to Patient Stories online by going to graygenetics.com slash podcast slash donate. If you don't want to make a monetary donation but still want to support the show in another way, leaving a review on iTunes or sharing our episodes through social media also makes a big difference.
The information contained in this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is also not a substitute for genetic counseling. Neither Gray Genetics nor any of its guests makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Evaluation of an individual's personal and family health history is a crucial part of genetic counseling and any recommendations.